with you. This is a reading from the Good News, according to Mark. At that time, King Herod heard about Jesus because his fame had become widespread. And people were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why mighty powers are at work in him. Others were saying, he is Elijah. Still others, he is a prophet, like any of the prophets. But when King Herod learned of it, he said, he is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Now, Herod was the one who had John arrested and held in custody on account of Herodias, whom he had married, although Herodias was the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. For John, therefore, had told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Hence, Herodias held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but was unable to do so. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and so he kept him in custody. The king, when John spoke to him, was deeply perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to John. Herodias had an opportunity one day when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers, the military officials, and the leading men of Galilee. Herod's own daughter came in and performed a dance that delighted Herod and his guests. Herod said to the girl, ask of me whatever you wish and I will grant it to you. He even swore solemnly to her, I will grant you whatever you ask of me, even up to half of the kingdom. The girl went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Her mother replied, the head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried back to the king's presence and made her request. I want you to give me, right now, on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. Now the king was deeply disturbed, and yet, because of his oath and the guest, he felt that he could not deny the girl her request. So he promptly sent off the executioner with the orders to bring back John's head. The executioner went and beheaded John in the prison and brought back the head and gave it to the girl and the girl in turn gave it to her mother. When John's disciples learned of this, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. 
the Gospel of the Lord. How frightening is the darkness. So muses Salome, the dancing daughter of Herodias, as she peers into the deep pit holding John the Baptist. At least in the opera entitled Salome, that is how the composer Richard Strauss imagines the young girl who is about to ask, for John's head. And indeed, how frightening must have been the inner as well as outer darkness enveloping John as he sat in that pit waiting to be butchered. How could it be that John to whom all Israel flocked for baptism. How could it be that John, who attracted such devoted disciples, including one Jesus of Nazareth, how could it be that this wildly popular prophet could wind up chained in the dark and destined for the axe? In his dark night of the soul, John might at least have tried to comfort himself with the hope that his star pupil Jesus would continue his work, indeed might turn out to be the fiery judge and destroyer of sinners in the end. Instead, John begins to hear rumors that this Jesus is wildly promising promiscuous prodigal forgiveness to all sinners as he gathered and healed and even dined with a broken Israel. This was not the script that John had written for his former disciple. And so in his darkness and doubt, John sends two faithful disciples to ask Jesus, yes, to challenge Jesus, are you the one to come? Will you fulfill all my hopes for Israel? Or should we wait for another? Are you going to dash all my hopes? At first glance, Jesus' reply did dash John's hopes. Jesus simply answers by pointing to all the many merciful acts of healing he's performing, and then he adds his climactic supreme work. And it turns out to be not condemning sinners to eternal fire, but rather proclaiming good news to the poor. Sensing how deeply he is disappointing John, Jesus ends his reply with a poignant plea in the form of a beatitude. And blessed is he who is not scandalized because of me. Now in the Bible to be scandalized 
is not to be shocked like a prim Victorian over the latest expose about Jeff Bezos in the National <laughs> Enquirer. That's not scandal in the Bible, though it is in the poetry sense of the United States. No, to be scandalized in the Bible is to be pushed away from faith, to fall from faith, yes, to fall from salvation. Why? Because God has acted differently than what we expected and what we wanted. And so Jesus's last words to John, the very last words Jesus will speak to John in Mark's gospel is a plea to John not to let his preconceived ideas about what God should do stand in the way of seeing what God is doing in Jesus. How did John respond to Jesus' plea? And to push the question further, in what spiritual state did John die? Stark, dark, laconic Mark never tells us. This is why this is such a strange story. It is a unique story even in Mark because it is the longest narrative in the whole of the gospel where Jesus is totally absent. The focus is solely on a John bereft of disciples, bereft of hope, bereft of any comfort, dying in the dark without even being able to speak a single word. For Mark, however, despite this apparent tragedy, God is present, God is acting, God, one more time, is making John the forerunner of Jesus, now in death, as in life. For in Mark's passion narrative, Jesus dies bereft of disciples, bereft of comfort, apparently abandoned by God himself. Jesus dies alone in the dark. Yes, to be sure, for Mark, the bright light of Easter Sunday ends the gospel with the good news of Jesus' resurrection triumphing over the darkness. And yet, the darkness remains there despite everything that follows. Good Friday triumphs over many apparent human plans. And Easter, in turn, triumphs over Good Friday. But Good Friday is not canceled out. Mark, then, as usual, leaves a question hanging or leaves us hanging. Why must First John, then Jesus, go down into that dark pit of death before the light can shine. That is the mystery that neither Mark 
nor any of us can fully explain. How frightening is the darkness. My friends, each one of us in this chapel this evening has known that darkness. Be it the darkness of sin or the darkness of physical or mental suffering or some darkness outside in society threatening to overwhelm us. But especially in these last decades, all of us have had to peer into the darkness, the dark pit of the scandal of sex abuse that has almost overwhelmed the church, that has shaken the church to its foundations, a scandal that, like a deadly incurable virus, has invaded the body of Christ. It is perhaps understandable that some believers might be scandalized in the biblical sense, might be shaken and fall away from faith because, like John perhaps in prison, they cannot understand what God is doing here. How could God allow this monumental evil to triumph in the church? Yes, in and through priests and bishops and cardinals. My poor answer to that unanswerable question would go like this. In this hour when the power of darkness reigns, as Jesus says in Gethsemane, in this hour of darkness, we believers must not let go of the hidden God even though that God seems to have let go of us. For that is the message, that is the good news of the cry of desolation of Jesus on the cross in Mark's gospel. That cry is the only words that Jesus speaks on the cross in Mark. That cry repeats the lament of the suffering servant in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice, although God seems to have let go of Jesus, Jesus, even on the cross, refuses to let go of God. My God! Not anybody's God, not a God who's absent. My God, my God, the God who, to whom I continue to speak, even on the cross, even when he is silent in the dark. My friends, Jesus' response to that darkness must be our response as well as evil darkens the church. If we grab onto the inner meaning of that cry of Jesus on the cross, then there is good news, even in the dark, that Jesus has not forsaken us 
or the church, that Jesus is really and truly present to each of us and to the whole church is the good news of this and every Eucharist. As we come forward this evening to receive the light of the world in Holy Communion, as we come forward bearing the burden of our personal and communal darkness, let us repeat to the victor over death those words of the suffering psalmist that all of us sang just before the gospel. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The answer Jesus gives. The answer Jesus is, is simple. No one and nothing, not even the dark.